listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead, if you have your Bible, and turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. If you are our guest, again, welcome. So glad you're here. I know that there's, even though you won't admit it, there's probably a bunch of you out there, and uh, we are glad that you've chosen to, to worship with us today. What we typically do in this time during our Sunday mornings is we work through books of the Bible. So we preach through books. We started a book called First Peter, which means there's a second Peter, right? But we've started this book 11 weeks ago. And so we've been in this, this book for a couple months. Got a few, the finish line is, is close. We are in chapter four and we will finish right before Advent, before our, uh, our Christmas series. And so been a, a good time just seeing what it looks like to be in exile. That's where we've been going. So it's interesting when you, when there's some kind of uh, big event going to happen, some kind of trouble on the horizon, it's interesting to see how people respond. So, you know, for instance, it's, it's hurricane season and this is a, a place where, you know, the weather channel says, oh, there's a wave coming off of the coast of Africa. And so what do, what do, what do the Savannians do? They run to the loaves. And they buy all the plywood and they buy all the generators and they go to the gas station and they fill up Tupperware with gas because Lord knows we have to have, you know, a half a gallon of gas in our garage sitting in a Tupperware, right? It's just because, that, because we know what's coming, we, we do something. Or remember, some of you are old enough to remember this. Remember Y2K. It was going to devastate us. Windows 95 was not going to boot anymore, right? And, and it was a big nothing burger, right? Everyone's freaking out. No. You know, and it came and went, and you know, why to nothing? Or more recently, when COVID starts coming, and we, we got to make a run on the grocery stores. Forget the food. We need the Charmin. We need toilet paper for years. And some of you still have the toilet paper that you've been hoarding. And the rest of us are just, you know, we're using that sandpaper stuff. I know it's, you know, thanks a lot. Uh, or you know, even the, uh, the remember the eclipse a few years ago. In 2017, it's going to be this great eclipse, and people are talking, it's the end of the world, and you know, we got to cancel schools because kids might look at it and go blind. And you know, it, it was just a big spaz fest, right? You remember, I remember going on, like, yeah, it got dark for like three minutes. That was exciting. Okay. But, but there's something about knowing what's going to happen that changes our present sometimes, or even on a more kind of tragic, or, and for some of you, very real. Uh, situation where the doctor says, sorry, there's nothing more we can do. Three to six months, right? That changes things significantly. When you move a loved one to hospice, that changes something. You're not really worried about, oh, I wonder what Bitcoin's at today. You know, maybe we should go out. Well, you know those countertops we've been really talking about getting? On the way to hospice, let's swing by. No one's doing that. Because your knowledge of the future changes your present, right? It changes the now. And that's really where Peter's gonna go today, right? It's the end. As, as a famous theologian from the 80s said, it is the end of the world as we know it. And I feel fine. Deep, deep words. But do we, or would we? Okay, if, if we knew that next week it was all gonna be over, there's a meteorite coming towards the earth. It's gonna hit next Saturday right before the Georgia game. Right? What would that do to this week for you? 
How would it change things? There's no way Bruce Willis is blowing this one up. We're done. Okay, it's gonna end. How would your week look? Would you feel fine? Would you be like, oh, got a week to live. We're gonna live it up. I got the bucket list. I got credit cards. I'm gonna max them puppies out. I'm gonna go do it. I ain't have to pay them off anyway. Right? Peter's gonna tell us. It's the end of the world as we know it. And here's how to feel fine. It's gonna change it a little bit. The, the, the difference between the exile, the one who's following Jesus and the rest of the world is gonna be very evident in this text where, okay, this is the perspective of the follower of Jesus and this is the perspective of the rest. The rest are gonna go max out the credit cards and live it up and hit the bucket list and, and Peter's gonna say, no, 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 this is what we do. This is how we face the end of the world as we know it and we still feel fine. And the great thing about this text is it's not... He's not pulling this out of thin air like, oh, what do I think they should do? He has an example that he watched firsthand, that he saw up close. Someone who knew the end was coming tomorrow. And what did he do in those last moments? The Lord Jesus, what did he do? And that's what Peter is gonna be telling him. Same for you. Same for you. Because you don't know when the end is, right? It might be tomorrow and it might be in a thousand years. You don't know when the end is. You don't know when your end is, right? Today was yesterday's tomorrow, right? So you don't know, eventually, in the words of Apollo Creed, there is no tomorrow, right? There will be no tomorrow. It may be 1,000 tomorrows. It may be 10,000 tomorrows, but you don't know. I read a tragic story in the news this week. A young mother, 23 years old in Illinois, putting her baby down, seven months old, reading scripture, she was a believer, to her seven-month-old baby, and a stray bullet comes through the house and kills her. She didn't know the end was that day. She didn't know, none of us do. So how do we face the end of the world as we know it and still feel fine? That is what Peter is going to tell us today. So let me read our text in its entirety and then we'll jump in and see what he has to say. Verse seven, the end of all things is near, is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he starts, real morbid, kind of like Debbie Downer here, Peter. Thanks a lot. The end of all things is at hand, right? That's a great way to start a new paragraph. Kind of glass half empty, aren't you, Petros, right? But he's linking back to what he's just said. There's actually a word in the Greek text that that most English translations don't bring it in. It's just a little connector word. You could translate it now or for. What has he just said? That the Lord Jesus is ready to judge the living and the dead. That some have already died and are living in the spirit. And so he's saying, hey, the end is near. It's the end of the world as we know it. And, And what he's talking about is not some doomsday thing. From God's redemptive calendar, Nothing needs to take place for the Lord Jesus to return. It's what we call the imminent return of Christ. Could happen today, could happen tomorrow, could happen at any time. Here's the problem for us. It's been, the end is near since 33 AD. 
We've been living in what we call the last times since, since Pentecost of 33, right? Where Peter preaches this great sermon, the Holy Spirit has fallen, people are speaking in tongues, all these things are happening. And Peter says, this is what the prophet Joel said, in the last days, this will happen. So we've been in the last days for 2,000 years. The writer to Hebrews says, in the former times, God spoke through the prophets. In the last days, he speaks through his son. And so I don't know if I have a different definition of last days than the Bible, but for me, last is like, if I say the sermon's almost over, you're like, oh, good. Well, I don't mean to preach for another 2,000 years, but that's what he's saying. It's almost the end. And that's a struggle. And it's, it's also something that the world has mocked because for 2,000 years, Christians have been waiting for Jesus and looking for Jesus and saying, Jesus is returning. And Peter deals with this in his second letter where he says, that ever since the fathers fell asleep, everyone's been saying Jesus is coming back. And all continues, just like it is. Peter says, when they say this, they, it misses their notice that God spoke and everything came and he will come back one day. He will return. Why? Because for, for the Lord, one day is a thousand years, a thousand years is one day. From God's perspective, who is eternal, one day is like a thousand years. So from God's perspective, he's been gone for two days. That's why he can say, it's near it's, it's what Lewis captures in The Voyage of the Dawn Trader when Aslan and Lucy are talking. And Aslan tells Lucy, I have to go. Do not look so sad, Lucy. And she says, he says, we will soon meet again. And Lucy says, please, Aslan, what do you call soon? And he says, I call all times soon. That, that's the idea. You know what Jesus' last words in the Bible were? Not, I'm coming to get you. It's, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. And then the church responds, even so come, Lord Jesus. And the only thing stopping him, the only thing that is keeping the Lord Jesus from returning is the fact that he is patient with us, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. The only reason that the Father hasn't said, go get your church, Lord Jesus, go get your church, is because he wants more people to know him. And praise God that he has been slow about his promise. Because if he wasn't, how many of you would have been left out? If he would have came 15 years ago, how many of you would have been left out? If he would have came 20 years ago, 40 years ago, how many of us would have missed it? But he is patient. Praise God, he is. You are here because he is patient, right? But don't make the mistake of thinking just because he's slow, he's not coming. He will come. The trump will sound, the archangel will cry out, and he will return. It'll be the end of the world as we know it. And hopefully, we'll feel fine, right? And so what do, we, what do we do with that knowledge? How do we respond to that then? That's where Peter is going to go. Let me tell us first real quick how we don't respond to that knowledge. Don't act like a weirdo Christian. Don't be the weirdo Christian that says, all right, Jesus is coming back. I'm gonna go wait on the mountain and look up at the sky. Don't be that Christian, all right? Because it's, it's silly. Let me, let me just tell you straight up. I know some of you watch some, some Christian TV, which I'm not against, but let me just tell you, there is no Bible code. All right. There's been books and books of you add up the letters of this and that, and you combine Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah, and you put it all together, you get the date of Jesus's return. Hogwash. It's a lie to sell books. It's, it's dumb is what it is. It makes you look dumb. If you're going to look dumb, Look dumb for other reasons than thinking that you know when Jesus is coming back. Because even the disciples didn't know. In fact, they asked the Lord Jesus, is this the time when you're gonna, you're gonna restore Israel? Is this the time, Jesus? 
And what does he tell them? He says, it's not for you to know the times when I'm gonna restore Israel, which by the way, I believe he will do because if he was not gonna do that, he would have said, no, 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 I'm not doing that. But what he says is, it's not for you to know the time. Here's what you need to know. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and then you will be my witnesses. Here's what you need to know, church. All you gotta do is know that you have received power by the Spirit and you're to be his witness. So don't act like the knucklehead Christian waiting on top of the mountain. Don't be lazy. There's, there's, there's some that are like, well, since Jesus is coming back, I might as well just relax and wait, sell everything and get, you know, go live you know, in a trailer you know, and just travel because that's dumb too. In fact, there's a whole book of the Bible written about that. It's called First Thessalonians where the, the church thought, well, Jesus come back soon, so let's just do nothing and be lazy. He's, and what Paul says to them is, get a job, go to work, stop acting like you're crazy. You don't know the time. The point is, you have power, you're to be a witness, and you're just to live like it's tomorrow. You're to live ready. You're to be ready because it will happen. So how are we ready? Let's look what he says. The end of all things is at hand. There's our word. What do we do, CBC, when we see the word therefore? That's right. Some of you got it. The first service is a little stronger. Maybe they had more coffee. I don't know. When you see the word therefore, you ask, what's the therefore, therefore? What's it there for? Because the end is near. Here's what I want you to do, right? Be self-controlled, which means of being of sound mind. It's a word that's used of a, a man who had demons in him and they were cast out and then he's calm, he's normal again. He's of sound mind. Be self-controlled and sober-minded. Be alert, be awake, right? Know what's going on. Right? Because it's the end, be awake, be alert. Why? So that you can pray. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little anticlimactic to me. I'm thinking, it's the end of the world. So there should be some great response. Therefore, wolverines or something. I mean, give me something big. But what does he do? He gives this, this biblical bucket list of just common godliness. Because it's the end, I want you to be alert. I want you to be aware so that you can do what? Pray. So you can pray, right? And it's prayers, it's, it's plural. And so here's the first thing. Here's how we face the end of the world as we know it and we feel fine. Pray effectively. We pray effectively. Where did the apostle Peter get this from? Go back 2,000 years. It's a Thursday evening. Jesus is, is celebrating the Passover with his 12 closest friends. And what does he do? He prays what is known as the high priestly prayer, John 17, with them. They finish the Lord's Supper. They go out to a little garden that they go to frequently. And he says to his three best buds, Peter, James, and John, you three with me, you nine, stay here. He takes those three, a stone's throw over here, and he says, stay alert, watch out, and pray. I'm going over here. Stay alert. He goes off and he prays. He comes back a few minutes later. They're all, he's like, y'all, you couldn't, you couldn't stay awake for an hour? Wake up. Pray. He goes off again. Comes back again. They're all sleeping again. Y'all, stay alert. Pray. He goes off again. Three times they fall asleep. 
What did the Lord Jesus do when he knew he was gonna be betrayed in his last moments before he's handed over to all these trials? The Lord Jesus prayed. Why does Peter say, be alert, pray? Because that's what Jesus did. So what do we do? We pray. We pray. And, and talking about prayer in the church, let's just, let's just, you know, the elephant in the room. It's always this guilt trip, right? Because we all know that we're not, anybody else here struggle with prayer? Like two of you? Anyone else struggle with lying in this church? Like all of you? There we go. Prayer's hard. It's challenging, right? And we know that we, we don't often do it like we should. And you know why? We could talk hours about prayer, but let's, do you know why prayer is challenging? Let me give you two quick reasons. Number one, because the enemy doesn't want you to pray. Do you know this? That the enemy of your soul, the enemy of God, does not want you to pray. You know why? Because the effective fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman accomplishes much. And so if Satan can keep you from praying, he can keep you from being effective. The 20th century uh, Methodist pastor, Samuel Chadwick, made this statement. Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks our wisdom but he trembles when we pray. So if he can keep you from praying, he can keep you ineffective. That's one reason it's hard. Second reason is, is because it, it's a sign of dependence. Prayer is ultimately saying, God, I need you. And when we don't pray, whether we would say it or not, we're saying, God, I got, my, I got this. I don't need you to help me with my family. I don't need you to help me uh, be a better husband and wife. I don't need you to help me with my career. I don't need you to guide me to, to the spouse you want me to marry. I don't need, I don't need, I don't need. We wouldn't say that because we're Christians. But when we don't pray, that's in essence what we're saying is, God, I don't need you. And God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we, we, got, we like to be, I got it. I got it. And this is why prayer is challenging, right? And this is why, if the statistics are right, and I don't know where these came from, some of them, but I did a little research on Americans in prayer and Christians in prayer. Supposedly, the average American prays for six hours a year. Some of you have watched your phone more than six hours yesterday, right? And that's counting meals. God's neat, let's eat. I mean, that's, you know, that's, a, that's, a, that's the meal prayer, right? Six hours, and we wonder why we're ineffective. And if you look at the content of what we pray about, what Americans pray about, and again, some of this is Christian, some is not. Number three on the list, you know what number three on the list of the content of American prayers? That we would win the lottery. Let's be honest. When it was a billion dollars, I was praying, eh, you know, Lord, I'll tithe it. I'll tithe it. That's a hundred million, Lord. Think about the good I could do with a hundred million. You know, 15% of people pray that they would not get caught doing something they know they shouldn't. 13% pray for their favorite sports team. I would bet some of y'all that's higher than that in this church, right? Last night. But that's, that's not what we're talking about when we talk about effective prayer, okay? That's not effective prayer. So what does effective prayer look like? I think the answer to that is, what did Jesus pray the night he was betrayed? You want to see effective prayer? Let's see what Peter's thinking about. What is, do you remember some of the things Jesus prayed about? One of the things he said was, 
Father, take this cup from me. I don't want this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to take the sins of the world on me. I don't want to become the object of your wrath. But not my will, but your be done. You know what an effective prayer would be? God, this is a hard circumstance and I want out of it, but I want you to just lead me to what you want me to do. God, who do you want me to marry? God, who, what do you want me to do with this situation at work? God, what, what college do you want me to go to? Father, should we buy this house or we not? Your will be done. That's an effective prayer. That's, that's what an effective prayer looks like. Jesus prays in the high priestly prayer, glorify your name, Father. If, if you would say in the middle of, of this trial, of this circumstance, Father, how can you be glorified on this sports team that you've put me on, how can I glorify you the most? What does it look like to, to have a Christian business that glorifies you, that's not just about money, but actually wants to have an impact around? What does that look like? Father, let me glorify you. He says to the disciples, and they keep falling asleep, pray that you will not enter into temptation. That's a big one for an effective prayer, right? Father, help me with this addiction. Help me to not use my mouth to be such a discouragement. Help me to to control my anger. Father, help me with this sin issue. Help my, my kids with this issue. That's, that's effective prayer. That's what, God, that's what Jesus is praying, right? Don't, that they would be sanctified in truth. He prays for the disciples. Make them one. Make them unified. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. That you would pray, Lord, let me know what's true and what's not. Let me see error from, from, from truth. These are, these are effective prayers, you know what you don't see Jesus praying for in the high priestly prayer? It's shocking to me. Shocking. Traveling mercies. Lord, help the disciples as they travel to Jericho to have traveling mercies. <laughs> That's a common one. And is God against praying for traveling mercies and for healing and for jobs and for spouses and for kids? No. Cast all your cares on him because he cares for me. Bring these things to him. He's a dad. He's a good dad. He gives good things. But if the only thing we pray is, God, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. Well, Abba, give me, give me, give me a minute. No, that's a bad song. Okay, good. Just came to my mind, right? If it's all about give me, give me, and it's not actually about something greater, how much of our prayer has eternal value? Think about it. Of your prayers, that actually will, will go into eternity. You wanna pray for healing and a successful surgery? Yes. And pray also that this person would know God and that their soul would be healed. That's bigger. Pray that your kid gets into whatever school, gets that scholarship, gets that, pray it, absolutely. But pray even more so that when they're on that team, they have an impact, that they are good friends, that they learn community, that they, that they challenge others to be better. That's eternal. Right, pray that you get the job and you get the raise, right? So that it changes your life a little bit and it changes your lifestyle. Awesome. But more so pray that if God gives you that, you're gonna change other people's lives because you're a follower of Jesus and you're gonna influence others. Pray, pray for that person's physical healing, but pray for their soul. If, if, if Jesus is tr speaks truth and the Bible is true, and he does, and it is, then every single person you know will spend eternity in one of two places, with God in heaven or apart from God in hell. Have you, have you in the last six months prayed for one person that doesn't know Jesus to come to know Jesus? Right? Because that's the only thing that matters. And, and that, so that's, those are effective prayers. And you have to be alert so that you will pray these things, Right?
It's the end of the world as we know it. How do we feel fine? We pray effectively. And if you're like, I don't, I don't know how to pray. That's the best, those are the best people. I don't want someone that knows how to pray because I don't understand King James language. And I don't know what hedges of protection are and all these things that we always throw in because we heard some guy do it. I like an honest, simple prayer. I call it the Luke, Luca Brasi prayer, right? For my Godfather fans out there. Remember Luca Brasi, he's this big Italian, you know, kind of guy. And he goes to the Godfather and it's, he gives this little thank you speech and it's, it's like a prayer. He says, I am honored and grateful that you have invited me to your daughter's wedding on the day of your daughter's wedding. And I hope their first child be a masculine child. That's it. All right. it's, like, it's something silly, but it's very easy. He just wanted to thank the Godfather. And he, it's very simple and he's repetitive a little bit, but he, it's just simple. And that's, prayer is simple. It is simply talking to God. And if you need a little bit of help on what do you pray, there's an acrostic we use sometimes called ACTS, A-C-T-S. A stands for adoration. God, you're great. You're the, you're the creator God. How would be your name, God? That's adoration. It's just praise. It's what the Psalms do. And there's Thanksgiving, I mean, there's confession, C. Lord, I kicked the dog. I was mean to my kids. I fudged this. I, please forgive me, because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. And that's what Jesus says. Forgive us our, day, our daily trespasses, right? T, Thanksgiving. It's, it's just, God, thank you for, I have a job. It's not a perfect job. I have a job. You know, I, I'm healthy. I'm alive. We forget. This is why some of you need to get out of the country. Not, to, not forever, but like you need to travel and go places that are not America because you do not know how great it is to live in this country. You need to go and visit some of the places we go in Central America or Africa or former co- communist countries, like uh, former Soviet countries, and see what, what it's like to live in a country where you don't have easy access to gasoline and cars and food and doctors Simple things we take for granted. You, we live in a place people pay money to come to our city because it's so beautiful, right? You, just Thanksgiving. Be thankful that you weren't born in the Middle Ages and you had to fear the Black Plague. Be thankful. And that's a part of our prayers, thankfulness. It's a mark of the believer. And then S, supplication. This is where we give our requests. Lord, I really want some wisdom on whether to buy that house. I need, I, I really want to be married one day. I really want to pass this test. I, that's where you do it, All right? Acts, that's a simple starting place. Doesn't have to be fancy, doesn't have to be long. I mean, the Lord's Prayer is, is you can read it in 30 seconds, right? You're not impressing God. He knows what you're saying before you say it. It's an act of dependence. And, and you want effective prayer? Pray the promises of God. Quote the promises of God. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us when we've asked, we know we have the request we asked of him. That's what John says. And so pray God's word. Pray his promises. God, give me, give me victory over this sin in my life. Do you think God's standing in heaven saying, nope, not today. You're on your own, pal. He's saying, absolutely, I will give you strength. I've given you my spirit. I'll give you good community and accountability. I will provide a way of escape also so that you may be able to endure it. I will answer that prayer because it's according to my will. Pray for the lost. Does God want the lost to come to faith? He does. Pray for uh, his name to be glorified at work, that you would be a light. If you ask God, God, can you make me a light at, at SCAD? Can you, can you make me a, uh, a visual disciple at, in my workplace? Is he gonna say, no, that's not what I want. I don't want you to let your light shine before men so they can see your good works and glorify me. I don't want that. 
No, he does. So you know that you have the request with yes. So start praying the promises of God. Start claiming them and pray in faith. This is a biggie. Pray in faith. Expect that the God of the universe hears and answers and delights to answer his kids' prayers. Because he does. And if you, will, if you pray in faith, you'll always get an answer. You may not get the answer you want, but you'll always get what is best for you because God is a good dad and he only gives his kids what is best for them. And so you may get a yes, you may get a no, you may get a wait. If you're praying to win the lottery, you're probably not gonna get that one. Just so you know. And that's what James says. You, you pray it and you don't get it because you wanna spend it on your pleasures. Yes, Lord, I want a fast car and a beach house. I do. Not my will, but yours be done, Right? But, but pray in faith. Because if you don't pray in faith, then you're, it's an insult to God. You're asking him to do something that you don't believe he's gonna do. Is he God or is he not? So this is effective prayer. This is what we do. It's the end of the world as we know it. How do we feel fine? We pray effectively, right? That's the next thing. Verse eight. Above all, we love deeply, right? We love deeply. Look what he says. Above all, anytime the scripture says above all, you'd be like, okay, this is important. Above all, keep loving one another. And it's a continuous command. It's a command that's in the present tense, which means it's keep doing this. Keep loving one another earnestly. And the word earnestly is a a word that's used of a racer who's running across the finish line and and their muscles are straining. It's just a fervency. Keep loving one another fervently. And and we've looked at love. We looked at agape. We looked at Philadelphia love. And so he gives two applications here. Let Let me show you what love deeply means for us. Because again, if it's the end of the world, what do I want? I want me, I want me, I want me. I want to do this, I want to do this. He's gonna say, no, no, it's not about you. Love, de- loving deeply does two things. It covers and it opens. It covers what? A multitude of sins. This is why we love deeply. The implication is someone's gonna sin against you. And I know that's like, oh, how could they do so? Because you're doing it against them too, right? That, that happens. It's just, it's just part of the deal, and he says, you know how to handle that? And you don't, don't expose and try to humiliate. What you want to do is cover and protect. Now, there's a time to expose sin, Matthew 18, for discipline. Yes, I'm talking about when someone hurts your feelings, someone forgets you, someone does something. What we do in the church of America, sadly, someone hurts our feelings, I say something that you didn't like, someone sings a song, whatever, someone didn't call you when you had surgery and you get your, your feelings hurt. You know what we do? We just say, fine, I'm done with those people. I'm out. I'm going to go down to First Baptist or First Pres or First whatever. That's what we do, right? Because we can. And what Peter's saying, no, 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 love deeply. You cover, you cover. It's, and I can't help but think that he had, he's thinking about a conversation that he had with Jesus where he went to Jesus thinking, watch this, guys, I'm gonna impress Jesus. Jesus, if I, my brother sins against me, how many times have I forgiven him? Seven times? Because the teaching of the day by the rabbis was you, you forgive three times. So Peter's thinking, I'm gonna double that and add one for good measure and let's see what Jesus says. He's gonna tell me how great I am. Jesus, seven times? No, Peter. Seventy-seven times or 70 times seven, some translations. So 490? That's not the point. The point is you keep doing it and 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 you keep doing it. Why? Because love covers a multitude of sins and that's what Jesus did for us. I'm not much of a handyman, but one thing I can do, and I actually, I find it cathartic, is, is filling nail holes in sheetrock. 
something about getting that, you know, the spackle and just like smooth and I feel like I'm, 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 I'm you know, Daniel's son. I'm painting the fence, right? And I'm filling the hole and it's just, I could do that forever. Just put more putty in and more putty and more putty in. And then you get the sandpaper out and you kind of sand it down and then you get the paintbrush and you paint it and it, you can't even tell the hole is there, right? I've covered it up. That's what he's talking about. So we don't need, you know, the, the gospel Gestapo and the sin sniffers in the church, what we need is the gospel spacklers, right? Because how dare us hold on to things when Jesus releases us from everything, when he pays for all of our sins. That's love deeply. And, you know, we need it here. You need it for the guy that stole your parking spot this morning. You need it for the person in your community group that's constantly annoying. We need it in our marriages. We need it with our kids. We need it with our teachers. We need it with our work environments. We need it. You need it. Anyone here need to release today? You came to the 1045 because you knew that person was at the nine o'clock and you didn't want to see them because you don't want, you know, you want to worship Jesus. I don't want to kill somebody on the way to church. Next week, you need to go to nine o'clock and you need to deal with that. That's the idea, right? We cover, and again, Peter saw this firsthand. The night he was betrayed, the night he's telling the guys, you guys are gonna abandon me, you guys are gonna, Peter, your little 12-year-old girl is gonna ask about me and you're, you're gonna deny you even know me. But yet John 13 says that he loved them to the end. He did not like, I can't believe you dudes are gonna abandon me and jump ship. I've been with you three and a half years, fed you, I calmed the seas, I did all these things and you're gonna leave me. He doesn't go there. He loves them to the end. He covers their sin. Thus we do the same. That's loving deeply. And then the second application it opens is that you show hospitality, literally the love of strangers to one another. And notice, I love Pastor Peter. He knows us and do it without grumbling, right? Because let's be honest, all the introverts in the room, of which I am, uh, we are very happy when you walk by us and you don't say anything. It's just like, thank you, Lord. Right? On a Friday night, the last thing I want to do is have folks at the house. I got to clean up the dog. I got to throw everything in the closet. We got to do this. We got to do that. I just want to put on my jammy pants and watch Disney Plus. That's what I want to do. I don't want to entertain. I don't want to do anything. So I have the tendency to want to grumble. And he said, no, no, open your hearts. Open your house. And it's not just have people over your house. That's a piece of it. Yes, it's not just a good meal, although that's, that can be a piece of it. It could be you when you go out to, to lunch this afternoon, you're kind to your server. You ask about, how are you doing? Right? Is there something we could pray for you for? And you see that single mom in your church that going to Walmart is like the worst thing in the world. You take that child into your house so that they can go to Walmart on their own and have an hour. Or you give the ride to, the, to the, the kids from the team because you know that that person's already driven around. So you're like, hey, I can bring them home. I know that you live in Richmond Hill and I live in Georgetown and, and I know it's a little further out, but I can do that. Why? Because it's loving people. It's on a Sunday morning. You see folks at the guest tent outside, you go up to them and say, I'm so glad you were here today with us because this place is scary. You're, y'all are a scary crew, I'm telling you. Right? It's intimidating coming in this room. Right? You don't know anybody. And there's people here every Sunday that are guests. They, they, they didn't know that they had to park six miles away. They didn't know that they had to get here 10 minutes early. They didn't know anything. And they're kind of like looking around. And when you go up and say, hey, you have any questions? I can take, here, let me take, I know where the kids go. Yeah, let me help you. Don't just point, take them. That's hospitality. 
That's what we're talking about. It's the mark of the believer. It's the early church. The early church is, is committing themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, which, by the way, is one of our core values, and to share things, all things in common. They're, they're living together. They're, they're, they're here. I have a feel. I'm going to sell it so you can live. That's, that's what we're called to do, right? That's love. That's loving deeply. It covers sins and it opens your heart, right? It's the end of the world as we know it. How do we feel fine? We pray effectively. We love deeply. And last thing, we serve willingly. Again, how radical. It's the end, serve. It's the end, open your home. It's the end, pray. So different. That's the point. Look what he says. As each has received a gift, and the word gift is charisma, we get our English word charismatic. It's a grace gift. Charis is the word for grace. It's, it's a grace gift. It's a, what we call a spiritual gift, right? And I'm not entering into the fray of your view of spiritual gifts. That's, that's a, a lunchtime conversation. It'll be expensive lunch too, but it, I'll, I'll do it. But here, here's the idea. What does he say? Each person has a gift. If you are a Christian, you have a spiritual gift. Where did you get it? From the Holy Spirit. He gave you a specific ability to serve the church, right? That's what he did. You see, and it's, it's empowered by him, 1 Corinthians 12. All these, all these gifts are empowered by one and the same spirit. He apportions as he will. So this Holy Spirit said, hmm, okay, this is Charlie. I'm gonna give Charlie this gift, boom. And I'm gonna give Joni this gift, boom. Or and some people have more than one. Some people have uh, multiple. Some people only have one. Some people, their giftedness is, is super high and some people it's just average, that's a God thing. That's not, your, that's not your part. Your part is use it. And there's four lists of the gifts in the New Testament. Right? Some think the list is exhaustive. Some thinks it's not. You figure it out. But the four lists are in first, there's two twelves, two fours. That's how you remember it. First Corinthians 12, Romans 12. First Peter 4, Ephesians 4. That's where the list of the gifts are. Peter breaks it into, uh, there's, a, there's a variety of gifts. They all come from the spirit. Peter breaks it into two different categories. Speaking gifts, serving gifts. So speaking gifts would be teaching, uh, maybe knowledge, leadership, uh, apostleship, you know, different things like that, evangelism, encouragement. And then there's service gifts. There's giving, there's faith, there's, there's uh, wisdom, there's all sorts. He breaks it into those two. Whatever you have, if you have a speaking gift, he says, you speak the or- oracles of God. So do it with reverence. If you're going to say, thus say the Lord, make sure the Lord saith, all right? Make sure he said it. Don't be making stuff up. And as you serve, don't be all confident. Look how good I am. Look how good I am. I can do it. No, no. You serve with dependency because it's the strength with God supplies, right? But the point is this. You're called to serve. You're called to serve, Right? That, that's the idea. You don't want to be the guy where God gave you a spiritual gift. Remember the parable of the minas and the, and the, where the God gives one guy one mina, one guy five minas, one guy this many minas, and at the end, they come back, and the one with five multiplied his, and the one with three multiplied his, one with one, just put it in the ground and got it out, so here's your mina back. It says, you wicked, wicked servant. Why? Because you didn't use what I gave you. Right? Jesus is going to come back and he's given you a supernatural ability by his spirit to serve others, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And, and you don't want to put it in the ground and wait. He said, how do I know my gift? Just start serving. You'll figure it out. Right? Look at the list. Like I'm, I think it may be wired this way. And when you, when you start seeing fruit, where people are like, man, when you speak, I get it. Where I always walk away from conversations with you, I'm encouraged. And your faith is, so, man, you're just so generous. You'll, you'll see fruit in the area that God has gifted you. You just will. And even if you don't figure it out, 
all the gifts are ultimately commanded elsewhere. If you're not a gifted evangelist, you're still called to evangelize. You're not a gifted servant, you're still called to serve. You're not a gifted uh, a person of, of giving, you're still called to give. So there's no excuse. Here's what I would say. Serve. Jump in. And this is not a guilt thing. I'm not trying to guilt you, but I will say this. There is no place in the local church for consumer Christianity. It's just not. It is not a New Testament idea. I come, I listen to a sermon, I agree, I leave. That's not what we're, talk, not what we're doing. You are called to serve, to give yourself, right? You're like, well, I'm not gifted with kids. Oh, well. See, here's what we do in the church. I see, we see it all the time. We'll say, hey, we have a need for X. Say, hey, would you consider serving in X? And here's the, here's the, here's the Christian response. Well, I'll pray about that. I'll pray about that and get back to you. And what I usually say to people when they say that is like, oh, I already prayed. God told me yes. <laughs> That's why I asked you. So don't come with me with an, oh, I'm gonna pray about it thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about things, especially, I'm not talking about doing a 50 things. But when you see a need, the need has been made known and you can meet the need and you don't meet the need. James says, what is that? What is that? Meet the need. That's what we do. We serve, right? And so we encourage you, if you're a member at CBC, get on a team. You're like, oh, I'm not gifted with whatever. It doesn't matter. Sometimes gifting, we, don't just, we just need people. We need people on the coffee team, hospitality. The prayer team is the smallest team we have right now. All they do is pray. Get on that team. Fill out a card, put your name and put serve and we'll put you someplace. That's what we do. And it's not just a Sunday thing, it's we serve. This is why community groups are so vital. This is where the expression of spiritual gifts happens the most. Encouragement, teaching, giving, faith, mercies, helps. That's why they're so vital to what we do, right? That's why. It's the end of the world as we know it. How do we feel fine? We serve. And where did Jesus, where did Peter learn this? The night of Passover, when they're celebrating, what does Jesus do? He strips down his clothes and what does he do? He washes their feet. He says, you call me Lord and master and such, so I am. If the Lord and master does this for you, what do you do? Serve. That's how Jesus spent the last hours of his life. Praying, loving, and serving. It's the end of the world as we know it. How do we feel fine? We pray, we love, we serve. So we do. And not only did Jesus model it, here's the beauty of it. He made it possible. Why can you pray? Why can you pray? Because Jesus has given you access to the Father. Why can you forgive? Because Jesus has covered all of your sins. Why can you serve? Because Jesus has served you. Now he says, go and do likewise. So that's what we're gonna do. It's the end of the world as we know it. How do you feel fine? Pray effectively, love deeply, serve others. Not, not dramatic, but if Jesus comes back tomorrow and you find yourself praying and serving and loving, you can be excited. You're not gonna... You're not gonna shirk away from him and his coming because you're doing what he said to do. And that's what we want. We're gonna pray together. I'm gonna give you guys a few moments actually as the, the praise team comes up. And I want you as you're in your seats, just, just take this two or three minutes. I know it's awkward. Sometimes we don't, like, we don't like quiet. We don't like sitting and thinking. But I'm gonna give it to you anyway. And it's an opportunity for you to pray. You need to do some adoration, great. You need to do some confession, great. You wanna do some thanksgiving, great. You wanna do some supplication, great. You want to claim the promises of God? Great. This is just two, three minutes for you to pray in your seats. And here's the beauty of it. We got 600, 500 people in here. God hears every single one of your prayers like you're the only one praying. 
How good is that? And, and he's gonna hear you. So pray. Let's pray together and then we will sing uh, and stand after that. So you can stay seated, just a few moments of quiet prayer in your heart and then we'll sing. Let me pray to open us. Father, use this time to draw us near to you. Thank you that we have access to you through your son. May we be a church that prays, that believes, that, that sees uh, effective, fervent prayers accomplishing much. Uh, and, and this is not a guilt call, Lord. This is just an encouragement for us to live like tomorrow is the last day because it could be. Help us to love deeply, to pray effectively, to serve well. It's in Christ's name.